All right. Good morning, y'all. Would you pray with me? Um, Father God, we just um, want to stop and turn our attention, our affections to you this morning. Um, Lord, you are our Father. You love us all the time. And we're grateful. <clears throat> we're grateful to know your son, Jesus, crucified and raised for sinners. We're grateful that we are living in a post-resurrection world. We're grateful, Lord, that um, not a hair on our head could be harmed um, apart from your good pleasure. Um, and that ultimately you work all things together for our good. Um, we're just thankful. We're thankful that you are God, that we are not. We're grateful, Lord, that you run the universe and that you run it for our good. So, Lord, I pray um, for these next few moments as we turn our attention to your word. Um, would you bring comfort? Would you bring encouragement? Would you bring um, strength of soul to, um, to my brothers and sisters in Christ, to me, as I uh, talk about these things? And uh, Holy Spirit, as always, we ask that you would come, that you would make much of Jesus, um, because he is our great treasure. So we love you and ask for your grace to come to us now in his name. Amen. All right. Well, rejoice that um, there's not flowery wallpaper behind me. Um, <clears throat> and uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 42. Um, I doubt that I'm alone in saying the truth that this last like week and a half, two weeks, I've just been in a pretty, um, ridiculous spiritual funk and, um, hard, hard for me to recognize truth, hard for me to rejoice, hard for me to, um, yeah, have hope and joy and pleasure. Like I've just been, I don't know any better way to say it than, uh, just being in a, yeah, in a funk. And, um, I met with, um, not all the elders could, um, could be there, uh, this Wednesday, but I did get to meet with Roy and Trey and kind of shared with them what was going on. And, uh, and I believe it was Trey that mentioned, uh, an article that, um, had talked about suicide rates right now in our country are, are high, really high. I saw an article that said, uh, as, as much as 35% higher, um, than normal and, um, you know, predominantly among males, which I thought was pretty interesting. But, um, point is like, we're in a really odd time. I mean, everybody knows that. Um, but, uh, with, with suicide being high with, um, with fears, uh, all of these things, anxieties, all of these things are, um, are pretty rampant right now, not just with me, but, uh, in our, in our culture, um, I don't doubt that uh, there are some of us that have uh, that have struggled over these last uh, couple of weeks. Um, it, uh, it exacerbates—is that the right word? It makes it worse, in my mind, at least for me personally, that that we can't gather. Um, I um, I accidentally saw uh, Paul and Sandy Wells the other day, um, and it was like uh, it was like you know, drinking fresh water after two a days practice. It, it was glorious just to see, uh, and fellowship with them. We saw, uh, Russ and Kay are home now and we saw them, um, today and it was glorious just to be with somebody, um, in the body. And so, um, 
anyway, suicide is high. All, all of these things are are high, and um, and I I get I get the the sense or the feeling that like as a culture, we're like the twenty something year old girl in a horror movie. Right at the moment where you know she's walking down the hall and it's like eerie music is playing, noises are happening, um, and it's just everybody's on the edge waiting for the other shoe to fall, waiting waiting for a disaster to happen, and like that's no way to do life forever, right? Um, we are, you know, it, it, that's a hard way to do life, and so. I thought what I would do uh, with you this morning um, <clears throat> is to um, is to look at a psalm uh, that that deals with spiritual depression, that deals with um, those seasons in life where uh, where we're not on the cloud nine of Jesus' time, where where things are not grand um, and we're struggling and. Um, and I want to I want to read it with you. Makes a few observations and then exhort us to um, a few things. Um, so before before we read this uh, this psalm, I I want to um, tell you about three things just about depression, um, spiritual depression um, in, in particular. The first one is the first thing I want to tell you is that spiritual depression is common to I would say all believers, but I don't doubt that there would be some that would say it's not common to me. And God be praised. And so I would say spiritual depression is common to almost all believers. So if you are somebody who has experienced spiritual depression, if you are in a spiritual funk, if you, um, if you, you know, anyway, if you ever do experience these things, you need to know that you are, um, it doesn't mean that you're not a believer, to have doubts, to have anxiety, to have uh, fear, depression. These are these are things that Christians struggle with, okay, that, that believers struggle with. So let me tell you a couple of people that you might be in company with. You, you are in company with uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, the prince of preachers, who consistently over the course of his life, this is a man who drank deeply the pleasures of Christ as deeply as anybody, um, and caused tens of thousands of people to do the same thing, to treasure Christ, to trust in him, to receive eternal life. Uh, God used this man in profound ways. And all of his life, he was consistently struggling with um, with depression. Martin Luther um, it was another guy who, um, man, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more significant man to have ever breathed air than Martin Luther. And um, he he describes massive bouts of spiritual downturn where uh, where he just struggled mightily to uh, to have any sort of happiness. There's a story, um, Katie Von Buren, I think was her name. That was his wife. Um, he said one time he came home and he was in this spiritual funk, right? And um, and so he said, I, I I can't remember whether he came to the dinner table or, or something, but his um, his wife was dressed in a mourner's robe, uh, mourner's clothes, and he said, Katie, what's wrong? You know, he's in a spiritual funk, and he's saying, Oh, great! Like one of our friends died. It's even worse. Like what's going on? And she said, Oh, like I just figured by your countenance that apparently Jesus had died, so I figured we should mourn his um, 
mourn his death, right? And so she, it was such a, I, I tell you that, not to say that she was hard-hearted or that joking with somebody in spiritual depression is the way out, but just to show that it was such a, um, a consistent thing that he struggled with that it was, it, it, it was, she was able to joke with him about it and, and use humor to pull him, uh, to pull him out. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about um, physical sickness or disease that like, if it just happens, you need to be, it just happens to a friend, you know, somebody loses a hand or something. You, you ought not make jokes like you, you should be, you know, sort of quiet and, and mourn with them. Um, but once they heal up, you, you need to help them get to the point where they can joke about that. And so it was depression, uh, where they can laugh about, about, um, laughing about the sickness will help them cope with it. Depression was such a consistent thing in Martin Luther's life uh, that his wife was able to to mess with him about it, to, you know, just jack with him about it. Um, uh, William Cooper, one of the greatest hymn writers um, of all time, um, was was a guy who was consistently, consistently struggled with spiritual depression. Matter of fact, he knew personally Oh man, I can't even believe I cannot draw the name to mind. Um, he's one of the most famous Christian men ever. Um, he wrote a really famous Christian song. Anyway, this guy was one of those few rare individual Christians who almost never dealt with spiritual depression, and he pastored. Um, he pastored William Cooper, and just um, through sheer um, persistent joy, kind of buoyed Cooper in his life. Um, David, King David is the one who wrote Psalm 42. Uh, I would put one other person uh, that might be surprising to you uh, in company with those of us who have struggled with spiritual depression, uh, spiritual hardship. Um, you know, there was a time where Jesus was in the garden and uh, Luke says that he prayed in such a, uh, in such agony. Matter of fact, the, the Greek word that there is agonia, um, you don't need to be a Greek scholar to, to interpret that word, agonia, um, that just intense emotional d- uh, distress, that it was so bad for Christ that he started to sweat blood. And so if you get the picture that Jesus was this passionless um, robot, you know, sort of whatever. Uh, you've misunderstood. You've missed Christ. Um, he experienced joy and happiness. He experienced sadness and weeping, um, the, the whole gamut of human emotion. And so uh, so I would just say, if, if this is you, be comforted that you're not alone. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're a freak weirdo who can't just sing the I've got joy down in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart song, and then just get on with life. Like, um, if you're, if you struggle, it's, it, it, it be comforted that you're not alone there. Um, second, I would just remind us all of C.S. Lewis, what C.S. Lewis calls, um, the law of undulation. This is from Screwtape Letters, probably other places, but I know it from Screwtape Letters, where one demon is coaching another demon about a Christian, uh, subject, right? And he's, <clears throat> the, the, immature demon is rejoicing because the Christian is having such a hard time. He's struggling through spiritual depression. And the senior demon says, whoa, 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 don't rejoice. Because if he is, 
he said, if he's struggling with spiritual depression and he's still doing what God has told him to do, we have lost 100%. And he explains this idea of the law of undulation, how um, un- undulating it waves, right? That that sometimes we get up on the spiritual highs and things are glorious and, and loving Christ is easy and reading his word is fantastic and fellowshipping with the body is glorious. And then we get into the dark places, right? Um, that we can say in the same psalm with David, um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Um, all, all of these things. And then, but yet I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, right? We can, we know, we know those things, those rises and those falls. And so, um, yeah, the reality is like you cannot be a strong, healthy Christian if you don't have times of, of spiritual hardship, right? Think about, uh, think about if you want to be strong. What do you have to do to be strong? You have to resistance train. You have to put heavy things that are too hard for you to lift and push against them. Um, what do you, uh, if you're a good gardener, do you always, I remember one time, some, uh, one of the old timers was driving, I'd never had a garden before. And so we just tilled a garden. I don't know how much to water a garden. I figured, you know, you just need to water it a bunch. And we were going to go out of town and it was pouring torrential rain. I didn't want it to go unwatered. And so I was standing out in the yard and by the garden in torrential rainfall, watering the garden because I didn't know that sometimes plants need dry. Sometimes the water needs to pull back so roots will go down. And um, an old timer graciously called to laugh and mo- laugh at me and mock me to say, like, you are killing your plants by um, by overwatering them. They need we, Christians need times of refreshing. We also need times where it's not easy and we have to endure. We have to hold fast. We have to build those m- grip muscles of. Yes, God is holding me, um, but but in a very real and important sense, like I am persevering, like I'm enduring these things. I'm holding fast to to God. I'm 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 going to endure. This puts rebar in your spine and and biceps in your um, in your spiritual life. And so the law of undulation is is important. You need time. You need high times. You need low times. So if you're in a low time, you can be grateful that God intends good for you in those low times. He intends to make you strong. Um, lastly, uh, just before we get into this is that, and we're not, I'm not going to go verse by verse. I'm just going to point out a few things uh, to you. Um, but that we need to have joy in the sorrow. You know, Paul, Paul uses the phrase of sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And so you you can't just um, it's it's not um, it's not what we're shooting for to be in a spiritual funk a spiritual downturn and just say like I know that I will be able to praise God whenever I'm through this thing um, no you need to you know you can be sorrowful and rejoicing at the same time you can do those things uh, you can suffer with the perspective that this is all from the hand of your father and he means good for you in it. 
Um, he may be he may be um, using uh, other uh, other things. It may not be just from your father, kind of like the crucifixion of Christ. That wasn't just from the father, but it was certainly from the father. Um, Pilate acted in in his in his mind and free like he was doing according to what he desired. So were Caiaphas and and um, and Judas and all of these men who had a hand in crucifying Christ. They so his crucifixion came from those people, so that Peter can say you crucified him. He he can actually say that they're not robots being used like, as puppets by God. But at the end of the day, um the father gave him up and the son laid his life down of his own will. No one took his life from him. And so there's this interplay here, right? Of the sovereignty of God and the, and the free will of man. And, and I'll, what, what I'm saying, uh, I don't exactly know how I got there, but the point is um, you don't have to, um, when you're in a hard time, you can know wherever it comes from, you can know ultimately it comes from the Lord and therefore as hard as it is, I can trust. I can trust him. I can. Uh, I can praise him in the midst. So I can be sorrowful yet always uh, rejoicing. Okay. So let me. Uh, let's read these. Let's read this psalm uh, together all the way, and then I'll. Uh, I want to tell you a uh, couple bad things pointing out from the psalm that uh, that should seem familiar to you, and then I want to uh, tell you a couple of the ways in which he's walking through this spiritual depression in a way that you and I ought to imitate. Okay, so um, verse one, Psalm 42, verse one, to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Um, you guys remember, uh, it's been about a year that Trey Ishi preached uh, preached this psalm. And one of the things I remember that he said about this psalm that was so helpful is like, you know, we get this picture right of the of the sweet deer laying in the in the in the field, thinking about streams of water, streams of flowing streams of water to refresh himself. Um, and he's just longing for it. That's not the picture. When do you see a deer panting after streams of water, the most like most likely time is when he's being hunted, when he's being pursued by the dogs. And so he doesn't have time to stop and drink. And so he's running, running, running and panting for rest, panting. He's just, he's fearful and he's running. Um, the psalmist says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. He's running from enemies we're going to see. And he's longing for rest and for peace in God. My, th- my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So flowing streams, living God. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, let me just say in passing here, he's going to talk about the fact that he can't gather with the body. He can't, he can't go with the throng and worship. And so that's familiar to us, right? That, that right now we're not, we're not gathering. And so it, it makes the problem worse. Um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer talked about the importance of the body of Christ and he, he was, in the context, if I remember what the context was, uh, confession of sin. And he said, you, you can go straight to the Father in the name of the Son and confess your sin and receive forgiveness. Like, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that's all you need. Except, Christ, we, were, we are an incarnational people. 
which means ideas don't just do it for us. We need meat. We need flesh and blood and bone giving us these things. And so uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, that's why we go to a brother. We look a brother in the face and we say, this is what I've done. And therefore the brother in the name of Christ can speak pardon over us and we can actually feel and, 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 and be with the body of Christ and receive the forgiveness as from him. In the same way that when, when, when um, we read the other day that God is uh, in Christ reconciling the world, God is making an appeal through us to be reconciled to the world. And so when, when brother goes to brother and says, this is what I've done, to, uh, this is how I've sinned against God, and other brother says, in the name of Christ, you are pardoned. Um, that is, we can receive that as from the Lord. And so when he, when the psalmist says from the living God, this is something that struck me this week is like, um, it's not, he needs not just the, the word of God, but the word of God from the people of God. Um, yeah, there are times, I know you have experienced this like I have, that I've read a text over and over and over and I read an idea over and over and over and um, and it, it doesn't hit home like it does when somebody that I know, trust, and love who's in spiritual authority over me looks at me and says, this is the truth. Now you have to believe this. God in Christ has pardoned you for that. Um, he loves you. Like, we need that, the living God, God in through his people uh, communicating with us. So my soul thirsts for the living God. And then he asks, when shall I come and appear before God? Um, when shall I come and appear before God? In the Old Testament context, that's coming to the temple. When, sh when shall I come and appear uh, bef before God in the place where he has caused his name to dwell? Now, where is that in the New Testament? It's where the church is gathered. It's not, a, it's not a building. We don't care about the building so much. We care about the Holy Spirit living in people, in their bodies, when they gather, that that is the manifest presence of God there. And we haven't gathered in, I don't know how long, but it's felt like forever. And so I resonate with this, man. When shall I come and appear before God? When, when will I get an elder praying over me? in the same room. I mean, we're praying for you. The elders are praying for you. I know the body, we're all praying for one another, but when will we get to come in the same presence and, and receive as if from the Lord, um, these gifts from his body, when will we get shepherded through song again? And, and when will I be able to, to be singing profound truth and look across at my brothers and sisters and see them satisfied in the same God when? When? He says, my tears have been my food uh, day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So uh, adding insult to injury, you know, you're, you're kicking a man while he's down that he's in the spiritual funk. He's being pursued by enemies. He can't appear before God and gather with the throng. And there are people saying, where is your God? Um, Satan loves to do that in our spiritual funks. Like, oh, would, would a real believer be like this? Would it be here um, struggling this way? Or like um, the, the babies and, uh, and I and Gracie were reading through uh, a, a few books of the Bible, but um, 
reading through Matthew, and we just read where, he, where Jesus is baptized, and he hears from the Father. Um, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the next verse, he goes and is tempted by the devil, and the devil says, well, if you're the Son of God... So like God says, you're my son. Satan says, if you're the son. So he contrasts, directly contrasts the word of the father to get us to disbelieve in those things. Um, And so he loves to do that in our spiritual funk to say like, you know, where is your God? Like God, God wouldn't, God, if you're struggling with these things, that must mean that you're not a son or daughter of God in Christ. Um, By the way, it was really interesting because uh, as the Bible reading goes, we had just got through reading where Satan in the garden, we're reading Genesis, reading Matthew. So in the garden, God says, if the day you eat of this, mut tamut, dying you will die. Satan says, the day you eat of it, lo mut tamut, dying you will not die. He directly contradicts the word of God over them. He does the same thing to Christ in the garden and Christ, the better Adam says, you're out of your cotton pick in mind. If you think I'm going to believe you over the God whose word I am. Right. So anyway, glorious, um, tangent. Where is your God? These things, uh, and I want you to remember this word, uh, remember these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng. Notice the tense. Not how I go with it. I remember how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. So this is a lead worshiper who cannot come to worship with God's people. Sounds familiar. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. So he remembers in a spiritual funk, he remembers the sweet times of the body gathered, of the of festal shouts, of feasting, of singing, of preaching, of praying, of coming before the, the, the presence of God. He remembers these things in the midst of his funk, which is kind of a double-edged sword. You know what I mean? Where, you know, you remember, and yes, there were those sweet times. And at the same time, it, it also cuts the other way, like, why am I not getting those times right now? Um, but he remembers. And then he's going to turn and preach to his own soul. Maybe the most important thing he does in this in this psalm, remembering is important, but preaching in his own soul is very important. Why are you cast down, O my soul? I could just sing this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, hope in God, for I again shall praise him. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So he commands his own soul. Hope in God. I heard John Piper say something not too long ago that delighted my soul because I have known this to be the case in my own life and I just thought I was a freak weirdo. Um, He said one of the most important reasons he preaches the word of God is to keep his his own soul afloat, first and foremost. That's how I feel. That like, um, even even in this funky time, um, it has been deeply helpful to me to be to to sit down and and to teach God's word to remind myself of. of truth. And so he preaches to his own soul. Hope in God, command, mandate, hope in him. 
Look forward to coming grace, to, to future grace. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation to my God. My soul is cast down. So, so command, you would think, okay, so hope in God. Now we're going to just go back to the spiritual high. Like we, we've heard the truth. And so now we got we to gotta move on, right? Nah, not so fast. My soul is cast down within me. This is not an easy fix. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Harmon and from Mount Mazar. Um, I've not ever heard a good a good explanation of Mount Mazar, where, where Mount Mazar is or what Mount Mazar is or, or why these things. I think the best thing that I know how to do with these things is to look at the location. Um, these places are away from Jerusalem. They're just away from the temple. Um, look... It's hard for us as New Testament Christians because um, when when the people of God are gathered, He's among us. But in the Old Testament, it was it was same and not same. Um, yes, God is omnipresent, but there was a very particular way that He was present in the temple, and so coming to the temple was coming to the presence of Almighty God, and in. He says, I remember you from Jordan, from Hermon, from from the northernmost parts of Israel, away from Jerusalem. I can't come with the throng. I can't lead in procession. I cannot gather with the people of God. Sound familiar? Remember him from here. Remember him from your living room where we should all be at church together Um looking at these things together where I could hear you laugh at my jokes or shout amen when Jesus is lifted up. I remember you, he says. I remember you from these places, um, from exile. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It's a very interesting uh, play on water, right? Water is so necessary. Um, It can be... Uh, flowing streams, um, my uh, yeah that that uh, that a deer pants for flowing streams, um, that uh, Psalm one he the guy who delights in the law of the Lord is um, like a tree planted by streams of living water, um, that that the Lord is my shepherd he he makes me lie down in green pastures he uh, he le- leads me beside the still waters right so there's all of these like Water can be the most peaceful thing. That's why all the hippies have like little, you know, water, you know, fountains, like when they're meditating or whatever, because trickling water, right? Um, and tell that to the people who are watching the tsunami come at them, that water is a peaceful image. No, water is, uh, again, one of those swords that cuts both ways. Torrential flood um, maybe the, well, not, not the greatest outpouring, the greatest outpouring of wrath in the history of the world happened on the cross, but probably second unto it was, uh, Noah. And, and what form did God's wrath take? It took water. So he's, he's, he's seeing these current circumstances as breakers, as waves just crashing over him. Um, but look where they come from. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers 
and your waves have gone over me. Um, Listen, there are some who cannot be comforted by God's sovereignty over our hardship. But listen, the most terrifying thing is the picture of God as a, as a cosmic hand wringer up there saying, man, America, I'm so sorry that you're going through this COVID virus thing and that, that Molding Baptist Church, I'm so sorry that you can't gather. I, I just, I, I was playing cricket over here and I, I didn't see it coming. And I, I tried to do something about it, but I couldn't. That is no comfort. What will comfort your soul is to know that God is sovereign over everything. And if it comes to you, it's for your good. You don't have to understand it, but you better know that it comes from a sovereign God who is good and who loves you. Okay? If you don't, you're not ultimately going to be able to weather these kind of things. But if you can say with the psalmist, it's your breakers. And therefore, I can, I can be sorrowful, I can experience the pain, but I can trust that it's from you, that there's purpose and good in it. Spiritual high. Verse 8, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, this is spiritual high, right? Here's what I say to him, why have you forgotten me? Right? Do you see that? By day, the Lord commands a steadfast love. This sounds like a guy who is sky high. He's out of the he's out of the mud and the muck and the mire, and he's on the rock. Right, his steadfast love is commanded toward me. Uh, his at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to I say to my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He's still in the funk. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Same thing. Where is your God? Where is your God? He ends the psalm by saying, why are you cast down, O my soul? Again, he preaches. He questions his own soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Okay, so... A few things I want to point out. The good, I want to point out the bad, and then I want to point out the good. The bad, two things. God seems distant. Notice, seems distant. He's panting after the living God because he seems distant. When shall I come and appear before you? God is seeming distant. So let me me just tell you, Christian, for the sake of strength, the strength of soul, so that you can persevere through uh, through tough times. There are times in the Christian life where God seems different, uh, seems distant. There are times in the Christian life where God seems distant. Okay, it just it's the case. Um, surely nobody would argue that the author of Psalm forty two is not a genuine true believer, because God seems distant. Surely you would not argue that Christ was being unchristlike on the cross when he said with the psalmist, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay. There are times where God seems distant. Now, we know better. Um, God is near to us and he's good to us all the time. But that's the bad of this psalm. God seems distant. So let me ask you, does God seem distant right now? Um. 
lately God has seemed distant to me. And so I resonate with this, that God seems distant. Um, second bad is that the body is distant. God seems distant, but he's not. Okay, uh, Psalm 139 if I ascend into heaven, if I descend into Sheol, behold, you are there. If I go to the uttermost reach of the sea, your right hand will, will lay hold of me. So like, where can I flee from your spirit is the question that he asked. Where can I flee from your presence rather? Where can I go to get away from you, O God? And the answer is nowhere. God is not distant. He just seems like it. But there is something that is distant and that's the body of Christ. And that's man eating my lunch lately. Um, the body is distant. He can't come and appear um, before the presence of God with the, with the throng. Um, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. He remembers those times of gathering to worship God. And he can't do that. And, and neither can we. And I would just remind you, we can't because our sovereign God has decreed it so. I believe that this, um, this virus, I, I listened to a fantastic sermon yesterday. You should all go find Toby Sumter. Um, just Google search Toby Sumter about plagues and it'll come up. And uh, he, exp uh, he, he teaches the, the whole of the book of Joel and it's not a long sermon. Um, but he, he shows, and he's totally right. Like God is sovereign over these things. He means it for his glory and for our good. Okay. And for the repentance of the nations, but this thing is from God. This thing is from God. And the, and one of the things that he points out is the worst thing, uh, in Joel, Joel really, really quick is in the context of these locusts that have just eaten everything. And so their economy is shut down. There's all like, there's a food shortage. There's all of these things that, that Joel could lament over and should maybe lament over real problems. Real people are getting really hungry and there's really bad stuff. The toilet paper aisle is, uh, is empty there in Israel in Joel's day. Um, but um, the thing that he laments most sincerely is the lack of worship. They can't worship God according to God's word. They don't have grain for a grain offering. They don't have wine to offer him according to his word. So in the same way, we cannot yet, I can't put bread and say the body of Christ for you, the blood of Christ for you. Um, we can't do this and we can't do it because our sovereign God has said, this is my will for you at this moment in time. And so we just have to trust him, but the body is distant. The body is distant. So that's the bad, but here's the good. He isn't listening to himself. Can I just tell you, you are such a liar and Satan is such a liar and you don't spot the truth very well and you don't hear the truth very well. So you can't listen. Think, of, think about this with me. Think about when you wake up in the morning What's running? Think about maybe even better when you wake up in the middle of the night, what thoughts are running? If you just let those go, you're listening. And that may be God. That may be Satan. It may be you. Um, but the 
But the point is, just because you're hearing something doesn't make it right. And so we need to take every thought captive to Christ. Is this from God? Is this from God or not? And how, brothers and sisters, how do we know whether or not it's from God? It is, let me just tell you something true. This is God's word. The Bible is God's word. And he does not ever speak in contradiction of it like Satan does every time he opens his lying mouth. And so if you're hearing things contrary to the word of God, reject them. Stop your ear to them. Tell yourself the truth. He is not listening. He's preaching. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. So he isn't listening. He's preaching to himself. Second, that he looks back so that he can look forward. Uh, Verse 4 and verse 5. These things I remember. End of verse 5. Therefore, I remember you. So he's looking back at reality, at things that he has experienced with God, at God's faithfulness in his life, at the high times at, at when he could sense God's pleasure, when he could sense God's presence. He's looking back and remembering, but not just so that he can lament the present worse. I remember when I had such good things to eat. Uh, like the Israelites did in, in the in the Exodus, where they were looking back and saying, like, do you remember when we had leeks and onions every night? And we also had a slave master who was killing our sons. And we're going to long for food? They were remembering parts. But they weren't remembering so that they could look forward. They were remembering so that they could lament their present. This psalmist does something vastly different. He looks back so that he can look forward in hope. So he looks back in order to look forward um, and to coach himself up on on hope. So I'm done. Let me give you three um, sort of exhortations here. Um, Being sorrowful does not exclude rejoicing. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So rejoice. And again, I say to you, rejoice. It's not too much trouble for me and it's not bad for you to hear again. Rejoice. Imperative command. Um, do you know what this world needs right now? I was telling Russ and Kay when we saw them, Eli and I got jumped at Lowe's. We can't find masks to buy. And... Um, so we had to go to the store. So we're in Lowe's and Bastrop and most people were wearing masks. And so I was like, okay, I think this may have escalated and I didn't know. But anyway, we're just standing. We're way apart from everybody. We're outside on the curb and this lady jumps down my throat. Don't you come near me. She yells at me. It's the law. You're supposed to have a mask on. What are you doing? Just all over me. Eli's eyes are huge. My eyes are huge. I might've pooped my pants. I was nervous. It was crazy. Um, and then the, the point, the reason I bring that up is many of you have experienced the same thing of just this like crazy level of fear, anxiety. So question, do you know what our culture needs from the church of Jesus Christ right now? They need us to be rock solid in our joy, to be rejoicing. They need us to be calm. They need us to be, um, not worried about whether or not we, catch the disease or don't catch the disease, not worried about whether or not we live or whether or not we die, but that we would be grateful for today. Leave tomorrow for tomorrow. 
we have a roof over our head, we have food in our belly, we are going to rejoice. We're going to rejoice in Christ. Scratch that. We have a roof, who cares? We have food in our belly, who cares? We have a resurrected Jesus Christ as first fruits who will raise every last one of us from the dead so that we can live with him forever in a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no sickness, no sorrow, no death, no tears because he is going to make all things new. So rejoice. And I'm not mad at you. I'm intensely preaching to my own soul. Rejoice. Rejoice. Okay, dwell on what you know about God, not on what you guess about your future. Okay, can I tell you that? We're all looking at the news, right? The news is trying to guess on the future, stock market futures. We're trying to figure out, like, are we through this? Are we not through this? I'm sure you saw, maybe you saw, maybe you didn't. Uh, I don't know if he's the mayor of New York City or the governor of New York State. I can't ever tell which one's more important. But uh, Cuomo, whatever his face, um, blaspheming turd ball. He said uh, the the COVID numbers, I guess, are a little bit down. And he said, he looked at the cameras and he said, God did not do this. Fate did not do this. Whatever did not do this. We did this. Our choices, our actions. We have done these things. And I was thinking, man, pride goeth before a fall. God opposes the proud. He exalts the humble. If you would... Humble, if you would bend your knee and say, God, be merciful to us because we've slaughtered a lot of babies here. We've celebrated a lot of sodomy here. We've done a lot of, we, we practice a lot of greed here. We're very gluttonous. We're like, he would have repented and given God glory, but no, he's, he's stealing glory from God and he's boasting in his own actions. Um, but it's all, it's all this Fear about what's coming in the future. We don't know what's coming in the future. But you do know certain things about God. You know that God works all things after the counsel of his own will. You know that um, that he is good all the time. You know that death has no sting. You know that the day your heart stops and your lungs quit, you will be absent from your body, but present with the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the fountain of all joy and pleasure. So do you know what you stand to lose by getting the virus and dying? Nothing. You don't stand to lose anything. You stand to gain Christ. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Okay, so... Dwell on the things that you know about God, not on what you guess about the future. Okay, last thing. If you are Christ's, then this is for your good. Okay? If you are, if you belong to the Lord Jesus, this is for your good. It's a truism. I'm sure you've heard this. It's a truism that those who are outside of Christ, for those who are outside of Christ, this life is the closest thing to heaven that they will ever know. As a shattering truth. If you have not trusted in Christ, then the wrath of God abides upon you, even so, even still. And so this life where you're experiencing the general, the common grace of God, where he's causing the sun to shine on the just and the unjust alike, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike, you are drinking in 
all of the good things from God that are called common grace. And therefore, this life for you is the, is the closest thing to heaven that you will ever experience. And so I would say, because I love you, repent therefore and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Reject your own, your own power. Reject your own goodness. Reject everything about you and trust in everything that he is for you. Perfect obedience that he lived for you. A perfect death that he died to pay for your sin. A perfect resurrection so that you can have hope in him. So repent and trust in him because if you do not, this life will be the, the, the highest form of pleasure that you will ever know for an eternity. It's the closest thing to heaven that you'll ever experience. And it ain't that good. But for those of us who are in Christ, this life is the closest thing to hell that you will ever experience. And frankly, it ain't that bad, right? So if you know Jesus, just let's all relax. Um, let's rejoice in God. If you're in a spiritual funk, um, know that you are not alone. Rejoice in God. Dwell on what you know about him. And, uh, and remember that this life is the closest thing to hell that you'll ever experience. Um, I love you. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Um, Lord, your word creates reality. Your word, you spoke the universe into being. Your word sustains the universe. Your word has become flesh and dwelt among us, lived without sin. Your word was crucified, dead and buried. Your word rose from the dead on the, on the third day. Your, your word ascended into heaven. Your word is seated at your right hand. Your word rules and reigns as the head of the church over all things. And your word is coming back again to judge the living and the dead. And your word, even now, even when we cannot gather as a body, your word sustains the church. Your word builds the church. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. I pray for a blessing on my brothers and sisters that you would build them up. Lord, I pray especially for uh, those of us who are experiencing the dark night of the soul and um, experiencing spiritual depression. Lord, would you, would you help us? Would you sustain us? Would you speak truth to us and draw near? We ask it in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen. God bless you.